This week on MuggleCast, Chapter by Chapter continues with Chapter 7 of Goblet of Fire. This week's episode is sponsored by Uncommon Goods. If you haven't finished your holiday shopping yet, don't panic. There's still time to find incredible original gifts with the help of Uncommon Goods. UncommonGoods.com has the absolute best gifts for everyone in your life. We're talking moms, dads, teens, in-laws, besties, and your one and only. And it's not stuff you can just find anywhere. Uncommon Goods has unique and creative gifts, often handmade by independent artists and makers. So skip the gifts that scream last minute and find something truly original at UncommonGoods.com. Our audience is entirely readers, so you should definitely check out the Book Nook Reading Valet, which offers you an easy way to hold your place in your book and hold your drink and reading glasses. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. To get 15% off your next gift, go to UncommonGoods.com slash MuggleCast. That's UncommonGoods.com slash MuggleCast for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Grab your plainest clothing, because this week we are journeying to the Quidditch World Cup undercover and meeting Ludo the Gambling Man when we discuss Chapter 7 of Goblet of Fire, Bagman and Crouch. And we have a supersized panel this week, two amazing guests with us. They are the hosts of Fantasy Fangirls, very popular podcast currently discussing Fourth Wing and Iron Flame, a very popular book series, Nicole and Lexi. Welcome, Nicole and Lexi. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for having us. It is a pleasure. Actually, having you two on is kind of surreal for me because I got into Fourth Wing and then I went into Fourth Wing TikTok and I started seeing your videos all the time. Then I looked (laughs) at your podcast. We know somebody mutually actually, as luck would have it. And then here you are. So this is just very exciting to have you both on. That's so exciting. I am an OG Harry Potter fan. And I actually think that MuggleCast was the very, very first podcast that I listened to. I don't even know if I knew it was a podcast back then. But I this is just the absolute dream come true. And thank you so much for having us. (laughs) I didn't know that. Well, thank you. Yes. Lexi's going to prove just uh, how big of a Harry Potter fan she is in a few minutes. For me, the audiobook, it's like all it's like my comfort thing. I listen to a Harry Potter audiobook every single night as I fall asleep. And I have very young children. And so it's a wonderful thing to keep me company when I'm nursing in the evenings or, you know, whatever that might be in the middle of the night there. So that's amazing. So so tell us about your podcast, Fantasy Fangirls. So Nicole and I, um, we are we do very uh, deep dives, very similar to MuggleCast is doing right now with Goblet of Fire. And so we are currently taking, well, we did take Fourth Wing. Um, we covered that in September and October. And now that Iron Flame came out earlier this month in November, we are covering that. We're um, just about to release episode three. And we are just digging into every single morsel, all the foreshadowing, tons of theories. It is an unfinished book series. 
so that's one of the big things about it is there are so many fun theories, so many Easter eggs, and Nicole and I are absolutely all about them. Um, we pull in a lot of character analysis, helping people navigate through the hangover that is Iron Flame, if you know, you know. And the community has just been absolutely incredible. We only started the podcast about two and a half months ago, and it is just it grew overnight. It's it's absolutely both overwhelming and exciting in the best way possible. Overwhelming is a really good word for it, but in the best way, yes. Yeah. Well, probably thanks in part to TikTok, right? I guess that's how a lot of the listeners are finding you, like I did. Yes. <laughs> so in fact, on day one, we had our very, very first uh, TikTok, uh, of, like a podcast clip. And it, we, you know, we just posted it to TikTok. We had like zero followers and it went viral. And that is how it all started. So from that very first viral TikTok video. We've basically been very fortunate to not stop going viral for the last 10 weeks. And, you know, it's like a lot of people have really rallied around the podcast and like shared it with their friends. And since it is such a hot topic right now, I think uh, so many people are loud and proud about it. And they needed an outlet of someone else who is just as passionate about it as as they are. And we were we were the hangover cure that a lot of people have called us. But it's it's been the best 10 weeks of our lives. It's been absolutely insane. When you were talking about theorizing and character analysis, it gave me a bit of nostalgia because that's really how we all got started with MuggleCast back in the day. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I love it. I love it so much. So tell us, why is Fourth Wing so popular? I've read it. I imagine Micah, Eric, and Laura are going to read it at some point because I think it's I'm too hot to avoid. I'm reading it right now. Yes. What are you talking about? Oh, okay, great. I'm sure many of our listeners have read this book by now. There's really no avoiding it online, I don't think. What do you think has made Fourth Wing so popular so far? I think the big thing is like people compare it to... It's almost an amalgamation of Harry Potter for the school aspect, Game of Thrones for politics and dragons, and then another very popular fantasy series, A Court of Thorns and Roses, for the romance aspect. Romanticy has been a huge upcoming, um, up and coming uh, genre recently, and I think that this just hit every single marker. But it's also been called the gateway drug to romanticy world. Like it's a very contemporary world. It's a very contemporary, or it's not world. It's very contemporary language, and the book is built around and. And, and expands on the magical world as you go deeper into it. Very Harry Potter-esque. If you, if you're, you know, we're in book four as we're on this podcast, we're diving into more and more of the uh, the world. And that is definitely how Iron Flame is going. It's just expanding, expanding, expanding. So I think there's so much familiarity for a lot of lists or for a lot of readers. And I think that's one of the major reasons it got so popular so fast. Also, it's a huge representation book. The main character has Elder Stanos, which is a um, chronic illness. The male main character, character is POC. We have a lot of uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual characters. There's so much representation all in this. And I think people were really starving for something in this world to have such high representation. And it just took off. Yeah. It really did. All the representation is nice to see. And by the way, for our younger listeners, there is some adult language and activities oh, yeah. happening in this book. So <laughs> book series. So you may oh, want yeah. to um, <laughs> ask your parents if Fourth Wing is right for you. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. And the podcast as well on that note, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Okay>. yes. <laughs> Lexi, 
I haven't seen something get as close to becoming the next Harry Potter in a really long time. Like, it really does seem like this story is unique. Have you been getting those spidey senses as well? Or I get more of a Twilight sense with this. And and that's saying that I was not a big Twilight fan. I wasn't like super into that. But I do get that a little bit more because it is a little bit more niche. Harry Potter, it's so ingrained in pop culture. Every single person knows their Hogwarts house. We have the Universal Studios and Harry Potter World and just all of that. And I definitely don't see any book series, not just this one, um, getting to that level. Now, of course, Fourth Wing is going to be a TV series. I'm super excited about that. Um, So I do see it definitely really being mainstream. But for it to be ingrained in our pop culture, I don't know if I quite take it that far. And that's also me just being such a OG Harry Potter fan that I just don't know if anything could ever quite compare to it. Yeah, it'd be hard to imagine. But even Harry Potter started off somewhere. That is very true. To that point, we didn't think Harry Potter was the next Harry Potter after Chamber of Secrets came out. It took a while. And one reason I'm so bullish on Fourth Wing, Iron Flame, this whole series is because we're we only have two books out and there's still another three. Right. And there might be spinoffs. And Lexi, you mentioned the TV show. Like, so we're in the very early stages of this fandom. And I think that's very exciting. And I think I agree with you. Ultimately, nothing can potentially ever be the next Harry Potter, but things can get close and maybe they'll be their own versions of that. I think this fandom is very exciting. I'm, I will actually, you know, I'll change my comparison, maybe a little bit more like Game of Thrones, because that is another thing that everybody knows about, too. Um, maybe not everybody's read the books because they are some dense books. I, I love the books, but they are very dense. Um, but I, I th- but again, like before the, the final the final season came out, everybody was theorizing, oh, my gosh, on YouTube, like I was so immersed in all of that. So I could definitely see this kind of taking on a Game of Thrones aspect, too. They've just got to be sure to stick the landing. Oh, God, don't get me started yeah. on that, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> well... And I don't think people are going to want a Game of Thrones theme park, right? I mean, that would be a little... I tell you what, I would not want to go to any wedding ceremony and get creative real fast. (laughs) (laughs) One question I did have for you, though, going back to sort of this being the next Harry Potter, I think, first off, it's tough to compare anything to Harry Potter, but I think the one thing Harry Potter had, and we've, we've talked a lot about this on the show, is it was just the right time, especially with the rise of the internet. It just... It was... A combination of the right things at the right time before I think the internet got to the point of where it is now, especially with social media. Because I, I often wonder what Harry Potter would have been like with all these platforms that are out today yes. and the level of criticism you know that all of these series have to go through. Yeah, I I've thought about that as well, especially as you know I've listened to other deep dives about Harry Potter, and I know that we're going to be you know poking fun at some of the. I'll call them gaping plot holes, <laughs> but we loving we we embrace them because we just have to let them be, you know. And I agree that if Harry, like Harry Potter, was so perfect at the time that it was, and now, you know, for instance, Fourth Wing, I think it's perfect for the time that it is because it has so many fun Easter eggs and ways to theorize, and everybody just loves that so much. And it's got um, relatable characters, and like Nicole was saying, that representation, and it's so. Great great for the time that it's in, the time that it's coming out. Lexi, you mentioned uh, you're a big, big Harry Potter fan. You also told us 
you're pretty darn good at reciting in order every single chapter in the Harry Potter series. Yes. So we thought if we could get a taste of this, we're not going to have you do the whole book series, (laughs) even though that would be incredibly impressive. Could you just recite every chapter in order from book four, the book we're currently doing chapter by chapter on? And I will be grading you. I've got a, my copy of Goblet of Fire right here. All right. Sounds good. And I'll, I'll start by saying the reason that I know all of this is, again, going back to my very young children, I needed something to do after I had read Harry Potter a million times on the audiobook. And so I started just making a game out of it for myself. And here I am a few years later. So anyway, all right. Chapter one, we have the Riddle House, of course. Chapter two, the Scar. Chapter three, the Invitation. Chapter four, Back to the Bird. Chapter five, Weasley's Wizard Wheezies. And chapter six, The Porky. Chapter seven, Backman and Crouch. Hey, that's today's episode. Hey, chapter eight. Hey, for those following at home. <laughs> the uh, Quidditch World Cup. Then, uh, what am I on? Chapter, that was chapter eight. Chapter nine is um, The Dark Mark. Chapter 10, Mayhem at the Ministry. Chapter 11, Aboard the Hogwarts Express. Chapter 12 is the Triwizard Tournament. Chapter 13 is um, Professor, no, Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah, Mad-Eye Moody. And then chapter 14, oh, The Unforgivable Curses, because that's right after that. Okay. And then we have uh, Bobatox and Durmstrang. Chapter 16, we have Goblet of Fire. Chapter 17, we have The Four Champions. Chapter 18, Wayne of the Wands. Chapter 19, The Hungarian Horntail. Chapter 20, The First Task. Chapter 21, we have The House Elf Liberation Front. Chapter 22, 22 we have oh, then we have okay then we have the unexpected task then chapter 23 Yule Ball chapter 24 Rita's uh Rita Skeeter's scoop chapter 25 the egg in the eye chapter 26 is uh the second task chapter 27 is uh Padfoot returns chapter 28 is the madness of Mr. Crouch chapter 29 is the dream chapter 20 Chapter twenty, chapter thirty. I'm. What chapter am I on? I'm like so nervous that like I'm forgetting, that and I have to. You're gonna be. You're doing great. You're on thirty. The pensive chapter thirty one is the third task. Chapter thirty two is uh, flesh, blood, and bone. Chapter thirty three is the Death Eaters. Chapter thirty four is Priori and Contar and I can't pronounce that. Chapter thirty five is uh, Verkta Serum. Chapter thirty six is the Parting of the Ways, and Chapter thirty seven is the Beginning. Yep, I know there's wow. thirty seven. So wow. I did it. I am so proud to be your sister. (laughs) (laughs) They're sisters too. I don't even think we mentioned this. Oh yeah, we're sisters. (laughs) But yeah, like I have my milestone chapters and then like I have like the sequence of events that go through. And so, yeah, that's, that's that. Being able to say the numbers before each title, I would never be able to. I'd never be able to like, which one am I on? Absolutely not. I'd just be able to like in an order of something. No. Yeah. That's why I have like I know the the task ones is my is the main one for a fourth one like I ha- like I said those milestone ones and then I can figure out what's in between so I'm so impressed yes <laughs> thank you you have uh, proven yourself as a real Harry Potter fan. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love your story as to how you remember all these chapters. Lexi and Nicole, such a pleasure to have you on. And listeners, please check out Fantasy Fangirls. That's it. Show's over. Yeah, we, we just had you on to <laughs> see that party trick. Before we get to chapter by chapter, quick announcement, and it's a timely reminder, so I really wanted to bring it up. Don't forget, listeners, our Overstock store is now open. If you ever wanted one of our cool physical gifts that we have sent to patrons over the years, but you didn't or couldn't subscribe to our Patreon, now's your chance to pick up things like t-shirts, the MuggleCast beanie, the MuggleCast socks, the Sweet 16 wooden car that you build, signed album art, all kinds of things. MuggleMillennial.etsy.com. We'll also have a link in the show notes. This is where you can get very limited time items. Once these are gone, these are gone because these are the overstock things that we've had over the years. And now we're finally uh, cleaning up our closets, cleaning out our closets. And we can turn these around pretty quick. So if you're shopping for the MuggleCast listener in your life, or maybe you could tell a parent or a loved one, hey, go grab me a MuggleCast t-shirt, go to the store. We'll get it out in the mail ASAP. By mid-December, we're probably going to no longer guarantee things by Christmas. But until then, Santa MuggleCast over here is delivering <laughs> MuggleCast goods. <laughs> and we may have one more item that we're adding to the store. We're going to check on that. Yeah, more more lost t-shirts <laughs> recently uncovered. Ooh. <laughs> They're just hiding all over the desert in this case. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone whose house we've ever stayed at might have a yes. box of shirts. <laughs> all right. So with that, let's move on to chapter by chapter. And this week we are discussing Goblet of Fire chapter seven. What chapter is that again, Lexi? Oh, yeah. Bagman and Crouch. <laughs> <laughs> And as if there wasn't enough pressure on Nicole and Lexi in particular with that uh, reciting of the chapters, we are um, involving them in the seven word summary as well. Nicole's going to go first and then Lexi. So are you two ready to be put on the spot again? I'm sweating. I hope you all know this. We get stressed by it too. (laughs) No, I'm so excited. Let's do this. I'm ready. Arriving at the campsite makes much happen well done well done so the first part of this discussion today is going to be around how the wizards are dealing with the muggles on site then we'll get to ludo and bagman so the gang arrive by port key and they head to their campsite where a muggle named mr roberts will check them in and collect the cost of the campsite now Something a little strange happens right off the bat. Arthur needs help from Harry to figure out how much muggle money he owes Mr. Roberts. And the campsite manager notes that two other people tried to pay him in large gold coins. Nicole, this seems a little odd, right? This is wild to me. The fact that I I have a small bone to pick with Arthur. I'm going to hop on a high horse right off the top of the episode. The fact that this man works in a muggle-centric part of the department, uh, excuse me, of the ministry, and doesn't know how to navigate muggle money, let alone read muggle money, is wild. Yes. He's like, he's, like he's never seen it before. Agreed. He thought a 20 was a 5. And I'm like, my guy. <laughs> well, listen, listen, listen. You can do this. We know that Hogwarts does not have math class. So that is maybe true. we can blame. You make a very good maybe point. Maybe we Eric. can blame former headmasters of Hogwarts on this. Yeah, but they have numbers. <laughs> what in the Wizarding world? Like you don't seven. have to know math. They you... have seven numbers. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can understand if maybe maybe he needed help with the mathematical side of things. Okay. But confusing a, a five for a 20 or vice versa makes no sense. I 100% agree with you, Nicole. This is one of my biggest gripes about Arthur. How does he consistently not know things about the muggle world when it is his job to know them. And he, like there's certain oh, go for well, it. Well, I was just going to say he gets so much pleasure out of studying muggle things. You would think he would also be fascinated by muggle money. Well, and also like ahead, I can't Nicole. blame him entirely for a lot of things. Like later on he plays with batches, which is concerning, but maybe not as alarming as not being <laughs> no, able I've to read that. muggle money. Yeah. That's terrifying. <laughs> He's a pyro. <laughs> but like certain things like he gets so excited and he's so, you know, um you know, electricity and everything. He just gets so excited about the muggle world. But the fact that he doesn't know how to interact with muggle things, I think that would be like base level intern level at his job when he entered the ministry. Yes. Or muggle, muggle class 101. You know, I, I was thinking too, with, um, with this whole situation, wristbands. Yes. Just wristband everyone. <laughs> why, do you have, why does everybody have to pay this guy to get onto the site? Someone's been to Lollapalooza. <laughs> Why is this guy? Look, the, the wristband situation is very efficient. That's a great setup. It really works. Why is this guy even here to take their money? That sounds like an endless amount of memory charms in the making. And sure enough, that happens in this chapter. People materialize out of anywhere, yellow obliviate, and just he goes on with this day. But why is he even here? There, there can be no way in which this goes off without a hitch. And they could have just either sent him on vacation, did something like they do with the Dursleys to get them out of their home. Like, you know, why are, why is the muggle even here? We know a lot worse is coming with him and his family. He later. owns the campsite. It's yeah. just that simple, isn't it? So well, Yeah, but I he guess, can well, go on a vacation or like anti-muggle charms that they put up make a muggle forget something at home. Like, oh, I left the oven on. He's got to trek, you know, like just go away for a week. I mean, Hermione sends her parents to Australia. <laughs> In book seven, it, it can be done. <laughs> rent out the entire campsite. You know, the Quidditch World Cup can do it or whatever. Rent out all the campsites that you need. And then, yes, tell Mr. Roberts and all the other owners to go take a little vacation. Yeah, like there's got to be someone in the wizarding world that knows how to do money. Just give him a huge sum. Tell him he want a trip. Uh, and, you know, the best minds are on this. The, the, this is the international government effort. And you have this man who's for reasons very obvious, suspicious, personally interacting with every new person, every new camper. It seems like uh, people didn't actually think this out very much. Wizards just love chaos, as we talk about on the show all the time. And to the point of all the memory charms, I feel like an excessive amount of memory charms being performed on a person has to cause some kind of lasting damage. There is no way it doesn't. And we've already seen in Chamber of Secrets the effects of, you know, a memory charm that is misfired. So I have to think that overdoing it, it's like the equivalent of like running somebody like, I don't know if this is a great comparison, but like they don't want to give people MRIs like five times a day for a month. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. that has some impacts. Right. <laughs> If you think about it, Bertha Jorkins, so we know that Barty Crouch, that's why she has such bad memory later at the very end of the book. And that's, a, you know, she's very prominent at the very end of this chapter, too, you know, as they're talking about her and why no one's gone out looking for her, which I have so much to talk about. We'll get to that. But that's another example of memory charms gone wrong. So I absolutely agree. I don't 
I don't think that it's good for this man's brain. <laughs> well, and I'll also say like he at first, uh, he meaning Mr. Roberts, forgets to give Arthur his change. Now, this could be because he's just like spinning off and like trying to put puzzle pieces together. But it also could be a early onset issue with this many memory charms to which the ministry immediately gives him a memory charm but mm -hmm. and then he gives his <laughs> change back after that oh you're remembering something no you aren't <laughs> but that's that is wizard's whole approach to everything pretty much when it comes to muggles it's also a reflection too of how the ministry views muggles and we see a slow de-evolution over the course of the next several books in terms of how the ministry treats non-wizarding folks. So maybe this is a little bit of a taste for us as as readers. Just going back to Arthur for a second, because we've talked about this in this book in particular, I'm wondering if he doesn't know how to use money. Is that some kind of statement being made by the author because he doesn't have a lot of money? Aww. Right. He's never seen a lot of either kind of money you're thinking. Well, that's so sad. Oh, I never yeah. thought of it that way. I mean, it's an interesting thought, but it's also, this is basic math here and, and basic, like a basic understanding of currency. Yeah. Like, okay. It'd be one thing if British money had Roman numerals. So it was uh, an X instead of a V and he confused a 10 with a five because, okay, that seems fair. But a five is a five and a 20 is a 20. And it's like, you know, maybe they might both have the queen on them. But that's about it. They're different colors. British money is different colors. Nicole, you have some thoughts on how wizards don't know how to blend in with muggles. So, you know, we were talking about them renting out the whole property, which is just a fantastic idea. And, you know, you think about like whatever the complex logistics that go into that, like it can't be more difficult than trying to keep all of this magic a secret, you know, from one mug, like they're trying to keep it secret from one muggle family who I understand that they live right there on site and, you know, manages or owns the campsite there. And, you know, it's a running joke throughout the series, how wizards, they don't know how to blend in with muggles, of course, but it shows just how disassociated and uneducated this wizarding society is. Is from the muggle world. It ties into their conscious or subconscious feelings of superiority. And I mean, I say that even about Arthur, you know, he loves muggles so much, but there is going to be a sense of superiority, which we especially saw in chapter four, back to the burrow there. Um, and how much secrecy the need to keep themselves is, it really separates them. They are not associated with the muggle community for obvious reasons, and therefore they don't know anything about the muggle community. And that really does show that that separation there because they have to keep themselves such a big secret. We we kind of joked, somebody made a joke about like Muggle 101 or something like that a little while ago. There should be some sort of like wizard muggle social integration lesson, at least somewhere within Hogwarts, like muggle studies. Well, and I like the idea that Lexi was saying that it's uh, because of the statute of secrecy that they can't see muggles close enough to learn about them to get educated because I'm right with, with that train of thought that says muggle studies, which is just a chosen elective for some people who want to take it in maybe their third year, should absolutely be mandatory before you are ever allowed to set foot on muggle ground it should be seven years it should be a subject that's like it's more important than charms there i said it you know if they out, <laughs> if they if they outnumber you look no offense to flitwick he would probably excel at teaching muggle studies but they need looking reading this chapter specifically 
it is insane and absurd how much craziness goes on and how poorly like wizards are equipped to blend in. And it's like they're not even trying, even head ones. Eric, I I love this point because this is the 422nd iteration of this event. It's not like they decided to do it yesterday. You would think that they would have a much better system in place. Honestly, memory charms are the only thing sta- keeping the statute of secrecy uh, up. Yeah. That's the well-placed memory charms going back centuries. It's tragic. We used to say it was Dumbledore who enjoys the chaos in the wizarding world, but it's actually all wizards. They just love the mess. It keeps things exciting for them. Oh, my God. Oh, man. You know, Eric, you bring up an interesting point about, you know, a course like muggle studies probably should be required. But this is where things, you know, always tend to get political with, you know, education and what courses are offered. So I'm just trying to imagine the board of governors of Hogwarts and sort of them voting on what the required class load is going to be and them being very dismissive of a course like Muggle Studies. Probably they would take a similar view towards divination as well, which is why that's an elective course. Um, But it just does go to show the many layers um, you know, in the wizarding world that are impacted by this bias towards muggles. And, you know, a lot of really well-intentioned characters in this series have it and don't even realize it. That's such a good point. Yep. All right. We're having so much fun today. But first, let's take a quick break to tell you about this week's sponsor, Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it's a one-stop shop for hiring. No need to bounce around to different job sites or screen candidates. Indeed just brings you the best candidates with their amazing instant match feature. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MuggleCast. Just go to Indeed.com slash MuggleCast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MuggleCast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's talk about Ludo Bagman. He is the head of Magical Games and Sports. And he's not helping with keeping the muggles in the dark. Um, he keeps loudly talking about Quidditch around the event space. And this situation to keep muggles from growing suspicious seems untenable, given, as we're talking about today, the number of wizards on site and how they seem to be pretty lax about keeping their world under wraps. Um, any other ideas for how they should be handling this? Yeah, I mean, I think you've already mentioned it, but I'm just thinking about muggle repelling charms. They use these at Hogwarts to shield a giant castle that is filled (laughs) with magical children. It's already such a stressful event for everyone. 
why are they adding all of this uh, extra unnecessary stress of monitoring that these wizards who use magic all day, every day, telling them, hey, no, you cannot use magic as they are apparating and disapparating to tell them not to use magic. Those extension charms that they can do. So if a briefcase can become a full on, uh, you know, zoo in the size of a briefcase, you could fit a World Cup and 100,000 people in a single church or something. I mean, why couldn't you like room of requirement? You know, this year's Quidditch World Cup will be held in Hogwarts's room of requirement. Thank you. Walk three times on level seven. You know, like it doesn't make sense. And why is a muggle present? Of course, we also have the foresight knowing that the muggle that's here, Mr. Roberts and his family become direct targets for these wizards later. So everything nice and everything accidental about it becomes very intentional and the muggle is in more danger. But you just can't possibly control all of these variables. So the muggle should be put to sleep for a few days or <laughs> something a little bit more ethical, maybe. That sounds so ominous. <laughs> you're going to drug him. Put out the pasture. They're, they're already <laughs> drugging him, though. They're already. That's true. That's true. Yeah. This is a celebration. This is something that happens once every four years. Why are you going to try and keep people from being excited and having a good time? Like, that's what I don't understand. I was going to say this exact thing. It's all fun and games until somebody gets held up by Death Eaters and paraded around in a stupor. (laughs) Listen, all of this, all of this was to set up the port key. Yes. Well, right. Literally what this is. It's a good point. JK Rowling's like, she literally started with, I need a boot that does things. Yeah. How are we gonna yeah. how are we gonna <laughs> enter I got it? I got it. Wizards suck. I skipped over this earlier, but to the point about Arthur, you know, Rowling's basically throwing him under the bus, making him go, Oh, what's muggle? I don't understand how to interpret muggle money. I, I was trying to think what does that serve from a storytelling perspective? And it only really seems to be that um, to show Mr. Roberts' suspicions about these people. But there probably would have been other ways to do that without making Arthur seem like an idiot. Yeah, and- it also makes Harry look good. Like Harry's happy to step in. This also started earlier in the in this book with the electric fireplace and electricity. Ec- is that the yeah. word he says? Where yeah. he uses for it? Like, he like he starts kind of being this kooky dad is what I'm going to call him character way earlier than this chapter right here and continues to be so for I would probably say the rest of the series. So I do wonder what is the storytelling purpose behind having Arthur being a little bit a good kooky kooky dad energy. I think it goes right back to what we were saying about about that subconscious of you know, he just he he wa- he has such good intentions, but he has always lived separate from them. He works, I, I guess you could say, with them, but it's more to, uh, it's it's not with them, but it's really more around them is is what it is there. And yes, it would make absolute sense for him to do his job around like knowing better, but it goes right back to he has always lived separate from them. It doesn't explain it much more, but yeah. Well, no, I think that is an important like little bit of subtext there. Agreed. Lexi, again, being a major Harry Potter fan, you've also put some thought into the amount of wizards in the wizarding world in light of this discussion about the Quidditch World Cup. Everybody's congregating. How many people are actually there? How many people do you think are actually in the wizarding world? So I... 
I, I, I go down a lot of rabbit holes here and I love all the world building aspects. And so this, this chapter in particular, I could argue that any chapter of all of the Harry Potter series are my favorite, but this one in particular has so much great world building about the actual world. So I was wondering how many witches and wizards are there actually in the world? And I, I did my digging there. And like many math related topics in the Harry Potter universe, uh, I found two very different answers. <laughs> um, so number one, the author has stated that there are about 3,000 witches and wizards in Britain, which is about 42 witches and wizards to every um, to every 1 million in the population. So that would make it super, super rare. 42 out of 1 million are going to be magical. Um, however, there has also been a comment that 1 in 10 people are magical in the world, which at the time of our story, that would be approximately 500 million witches and wizards across the globe. I do not think it's nearly that many there. I My guess is that the actual wizarding population is somewhere in between. We know that the Quidditch World Cup Stadium, it can see 100,000 and the tickets were really hard to come by. So we have that context. So if you asked me and I had to give you a, an answer, I would put it around the 5 to 10 million across the globe. What do you guys think, just out of curiosity? I'm starting to think that neither uh, ADHD or Alzheimer's are naturally occurring, and that what it is is we've just encountered wizards that had to correct their mistakes by obliviating us, uh, <laughs> and that... Uh, that's why we I get so distracted all the time is there's literally just 500 million wizards always screwing up around us. I love that. Oh, that makes me really sad. I'm not a witch, though. <laughs> I think the logic is sound. I declare canon. Yeah. So I was going to say, Lexi, we have a segment <laughs> on the show where if we just convince ourselves something must be true, then we declare it canon and it is henceforth canon. Play the clip. I declare canon. The lightning makes it official. It would not be official if it weren't for the lightning. I never thought that um, I would be thinking of it like the, the, even just parts per or people per million like is a great way of analyzing that. I just think, I mean, look, the author self-admittedly is horrible at math. Yes. And anytime there's even like a Quidditch score, you have to scrutinize it because it's like very taxing and it's taxing for all of us. I mean, who can, why would you keep that in, in track? But if you go by the population of Hogwarts as well, knowing that they also encompass all of Britain wizards, like all of British wizards, then you get an even smaller number, I think, than the 42 per million. So it, you just really can't, it can't be known. But a hundred and a hundred thousand of them have turned up for this match. Five hundred million seems like that would be way too many. I mean, I I I would be terrified to live in a world with five hundred million wizards. That's, That's what I'm saying. That's why we're all nightmare. so forgetful. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, I'm going to go with the uh, 5 million finally. And I'm just kind of pulling that out. I started to do some of the math because I knew we know how many students are at Hogwarts. And so I was starting to look at all the other schools. And then I told myself, you got to get out of this rabbit hole. Just stop it. So yeah, <laughs> maybe one of these days I'll actually try to do the math. <laughs> if you ever got the number correct, you're your memory would likely be wiped by a witcher wizard so that you <laughs> say ADHD. Yeah. yeah. You got to keep yeah. right. you got to play dumb to to Eric's point earlier. Yep. I just can't figure it out. Author really stumped us. You're going to check in on me in 3 weeks and it's like Nicole's going to be like, "I don't know what happened to Lexi. She like ran off and now she's in Albania and she's going to be in a straitjacket. Who am I? Who am I?" <laughs> yeah. She she said she was on Pottercast. I said, "No, you're on Mugglecast." Oh. <laughs> But 
listen, this is um, where I think our interpretations of the wizarding world can hit some limitations when we're thinking about 2023 terms, because, yeah, they might come along, Lexi, and, you know, obliviate you, but you've already shared this brilliant theory on our show that's about to be pumped out to, you know, tens of thousands of listeners. So they're going to go around and wipe everyone's memory who ever listened to this episode of the show. I'm so sorry, everyone. Work. <laughs> Unless they get Andrew before he edits. <laughs> they just edit it out. Yeah. It's the easiest way to do and it. They just delete the whole thing. <laughs> the now, lost episode. You know what? <laughs> now this gives me an idea for when I say things on the show, <laughs> I can just go to the Obliviator squad and send them after Andrew so that they end up in the final cut. All right. I see this train riding off the rails. So <laughs> Andrew's like, please, God, choo, stop. Choo. So back to what's happening. Um, Harry and Hermione, they lead the construction of their tent and Harry assumes it's going to be some plain old uh, muggle tent. But once he steps inside, it's actually more of a magical glamping situation. It's a three room flat with a bathroom and a kitchen. And it's apparently furnished in the style of Mrs. Fig's house. And Arthur says he got this magical tent from a co-worker at the ministry. This is Perkins, who we will meet in Order of the Phoenix. It almost seems out of character for him to not have wanted to use a plain muggle tent. That's part of being to getting the muggle experience. Like that seems like right up Arthur's alley. We're all a little bit hypocritical when it comes to, yes, Arthur's loving this get up at the crack of dawn, carry all your kids there. But like, why should they inconvenience themselves with muggle tents when it could just look like a tent outside and be have all the conveniences on the inside? I'll uh, I'll defend myself here and say that I actually love traditional camping. Nobody loves traditional camping. I'm sorry. I do. I think this is very in character for Arthur, though, because, again, he's obsessed with muggles, but he doesn't know that much about them, including what it's like to camp in a tent. Mm. For for all Mm -hmm. he knows that this is it. I, I think Arthur said, you know what, Harry, Hermione, three years from now, you're really going to need to know how to build a tent. So get after it. So why does it smell like Mrs. Fig's house? That is a very good question. I think we actually have some theories. I know, Micah, thank you for putting in a note about Perkins. We meet him in Order of the Phoenix. But Fig is another person we meet in Order of the Phoenix. Mm, yep. There's a, there's actually a lot of characters in this chapter that get a brief mention that we meet later on in Order of the Phoenix. Expanding the world, like I think Lexi said. Lexi, you might have a theory here about Perkins and Fig. I do. You can't bring me onto a podcast and not and I gotta I gotta talk my theories, right? Um so I love the theory that Perkins and Miss Fig they dated at some point. And because you know they seem like they're around the same age. They're both older and poor Perkins has lumbargo and you know they would go camping on a they would go on camping adventures oh. and they'd bring her cats, you know, for whatever reason. And he is in the misuse of muggle artifacts department as a homage to his continued love for the scribe that got away. That's that's my that's oh. my theory right there. Oh. Or it's actually <laughs> Mrs. Figs or Miss Figs. Is it Mrs. Fig or Miss Fig? I always think of her as a Ms. Fig. <laughs> Mrs. That's just me. It, it's always called Mrs. Right. But there, we never hear anything about a husband because she's a cat lady. I mean, let's be real. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying like. 
Or I was also thinking maybe it's Mrs. Fig's tent and the other tent that doesn't smell like cats is Perkins. But Arthur, he is lying to Harry because he can't tell him that it's actually his neighbor's cat because, you know, she's undercover and all of that. I don't think that he'd actually lie to her, but I just have way too much fun. That's fun. That's so fun. That's kind of the interesting thing about this is that I think this sets up Fig as being more than just a neighbor. And and it's true. She is like we learned she's a squid, but that after the trial, that doesn't go anywhere in Order of the Phoenix. Right. I have one more possibility is that Perkins bought it from Mrs. Fig, like, you know, on the Wizards version of Craigslist and or she gave it to him. Maybe it's her brother because she is a squib. So maybe Perkins is her brother. And for some reason or another, when she was done camping, she wanted to settle in as her undercover self. She gave it to him. I'm here for these unhinged theories. I love those. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I have so many with Harry Potter. It's so much fun. (laughs) Well, one thing I do want to mention is that this is also foreshadowing using Perkins' tent here because Harry mentions that he's never been camping before, but he will be camping a lot soon, like you were saying, Micah, Mm. and in this very same tent. And I didn't realize until I started doing my deep dives of the Harry Potter world that it was the same tent that they use for the Quidditch World Cup. That is crazy. That is such a good catch. Mm. Thank you, Perkins. Yeah, and this tent, by the way, I don't know how the rest of the panel feels here, but um, it leads to one of the cheesiest moments in all of the Harry Potter films when Harry walks into the tent and he just says, I love magic. I love that moment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I roll. It was was not needed. We're four (laughs) movies in. Come on. Mike Newell. He's vocalizing what all the viewers are saying. That's that's all. I blame the director for that. He's pulling at Eric who's like, yes, I'm not actually having to camp. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's focus now on Bagman and Crouch. Uh, so Bagman, I mentioned him a few minutes ago. He's an eccentric wizard. He walks as if he has springs under his feet. And his first words to Harry and company are, ahoy there. Which, if you ever hear that from a stranger, you know you're going to be in for a treat, I think. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, ahoy there. Well, maybe I just need to go sailing more, but... Let's normalize saying, ahoy there. I was going to say, I might start now. <laughs> I feel like this is a challenge. Well, so we got our listeners saying, hey, y'all. So maybe they should start saying, ahoy there. Let's change the feedback form to manually insert, hey, ahoy there, at the beginning of every message. We could do that. Or... Hear me out. Hear me out. What about ahoy, y'all? Ooh, that's that's flying a little too close to the yep. sun, Laura. That that's that's playing with fire. That's some deep south right there. <laughs> I just love the way that Bagman is described. You know, made him look like an overgrown schoolboy. You know, you just have such a great visual picture of him there, and it makes me so sad we didn't get him in the movie. But I'm not going to go down that hole. Um, and you know, there's the haggard-looking ministry workers, and they're running around. They're super stressed out. Well, he's all like, "Well, there's not much for me to do." And it's like we all have had that manager, or we at least know of that leadership figure, right? Where it's like, "Oh my god, everything's on fire," and you're just walking around with big smile on your face, drinking coffee. <laughs> everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I relate to that so much. <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you. I relate to the people running around screaming. That's my vibe. <laughs> it's funny, yeah, because I know, Laura, you and I can probably picture a few people that we work with that fit this to a T. Yeah. Oh, yes. 
I do want to mention, because Ludo mentions Agatha Timms, who bet half of her shares of her eel farm uh, on having a week-long match. And I have a lot of questions about this one sentence right here. Yeah. Well, go ahead. What what question number one, her age? Yeah. No, I mean, it, it feels really icky to me, because if you're talking about a child uh betting the shares of her eel farm that's i'm like imagining a child betting their shares in like their ant farm that they have in their bedroom at home or something or like crayola crayons in their box yeah it's just it's it's so exploitative of a child and it's like one thing to do this with teenagers right because you can argue that they're of an age where they can kind of reasonably understand the rules of gambling as it were but not a kid man that's just gross i love that you went to the kid land because i was like this is a grown-up this is a grown-up woman who just has an eel farm like i was just (laughs) Well, they do use the word young bagman does use the word young right in the text so i think that's why little I think he uses little. little. So I was I was under the impression that she was like a Flitwick sort of little. Oh, oh so she's like sh- small of stature. That was my but impression. But not necessarily a child. Well, <laughs> given that we know what Bagman is doing, which is actively as the head of magical games and sports going around ripping people off with the no with no intention to ever pay them back and making these bets it is predatory i have actually reading this chapter i posit that ludo bagman is actually the most morally bankrupt character that we meet in this book and maybe the whole series the only people who come close are umbridge and mundungus fletcher so are you saying ludo bagman is worse morally than umbridge this is a I, hot well, take, that's why Eric. I started off saying this book, but he's pretty morally deprived or depraved. I would agree. He's in the top three of the whole series. Just this whole gambling thing does not sit right with me in general. Like the fact that uh, he Ludo's doing this in front of Arthur, too. And even Arthur is like, no, I don't think Molly would be happy with this. He still presses forward. And he got them their tickets. So he's making a bet. He He knows he's going to rip off the Weasley twins for all of their money, literally turning out all of their pockets in front of their father. And, and Bagman was the one that gave them their tickets to the cup. That's like, hello, let me lead you to the slaughterhouse. And then I will take all of your money. Like it just, there's so much that's wrong about this, not to mention the conflict of interest because he's the department head of magical games and sports. And he's going around, but he should be forbidden from placing bets. Yeah. I never thought of that. Especially since, um, Micah, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, there's always the possibility of, you know, an athletic match being rigged, right? And so what if that was the case here? And if Bagman knew exactly what the outcome was going to be, and he was doing this specifically to take advantage of people? Sure. Yeah, I I think it certainly raises ethical questions to your point, to Eric's point, especially because he is directly responsible for putting on this event. He should not be in a betting pool. Um, He could have insider information that could directly impact the outcome of the match and or lead him to making more money for himself. Now, the piece that isn't clear at least right now, is if he stands to gain anything from this pool. Like, is he just organizing the pool 
or does he actually have money in the pool himself where you know he could win or he could lose as a result of that um and yeah it just doesn't seem like something a ministry official should be doing i'm assuming he has a lot on the line here because of how much the goblin trouble gives him later to the point where he just gives Fred and George vanishing money. So I feel like he's like trying to keep whatever he can to himself from, I mean, whether it's ethical or not, or like none of this is ethical on his part, but like whether he's taking portions knowingly by the external parties or he's taking portions unknowingly by the external parties, some shady stuff is going on with our guy Ludo. Yeah. And, I can say from my own experience, like I have to take a specific gambling training at work because of the nature of my job. I can't, the only thing I can do is like I can be in a fantasy league, but that fantasy league cannot result in any kind of financial or other beneficial gain for me should I end up winning it at the end of the season. Uh, You know, here's a quick name origin on Ludo Bagman. Uh, Ludo is a shortened form of Ludwig, and it name it uh, translates in German and Flemish origins. Ludo means famous fighter. So for a former Quidditch player, that's huge. And a bagman is an agent who collects or distributes the proceeds of illicit activities. Sometimes these names are very on the nose. <laughs> yeah. Is he like same category as Mundungus Fletcher in our in our minds? But again, morally so. bankrupt, really no repercussions. The only difference is status. Former Quidditch player, ministry official. Had the ends to be able to get into the ministry in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of the betting, uh, the betting with the twins, the twins actually do get their bet right. Yeah. How? I You know... Lexi actually has a point in here that I agree with. I don't think looking back on it, the prediction was all that hard to come by. If if you know the sport, I actually think it's a really smart pick, actually. I, I agree because we know that the that we, we know that Ireland's chasers are absolutely legendary. And then we know that Crum really carries the other team there. So it it makes sense. I mean, yes, it is absolutely still a big risk there, but I, I think it's brilliant on their part. Well, I will say, so the author did address this because uh, someone at LeakyCon uh, in 2005, I went down my own little rabbit hole trying to find the answer to this question. She addressed it with saying, quote, it was a risk. They risked everything on it. That is Fred and George, isn't it? They are always, they are the risk takers of the family. I was not as in the camp of like, oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense for them. I was like, who has illicit time turners? Yeah. Who's, got, <laughs> like, who's got a connection to Crumb? Like, you know, all of these like bad Back in, uh, here I am on my unhinged theory train, but (laughs) hearing you say that, Lex, I'm like, oh, that actually does make a lot more sense now. (laughs) Maybe they don't have an illicit time turner. Are Fred and George time traveling Dumbledore? Well, and I mean, look, they're smart. They're smart guys. I mean, they open up a very successful business. Even Ludo is very impressed with the wand that they uh, show him. And he said he hasn't seen a, a prank wand like this in years. So they're they're smart. They know what they're doing. I mean, it. I would not put it past them that they would one day become like professional sports betters. That does seem very them. Not Fred, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Rip. <laughs> <laughs> Any other points about gambling anybody wants to bring up? Otherwise, we could probably move on. I, it's not so much about the betting, but I did want to 
raise a question. I've always been curious about the incident Arthur helped Ludo with that made him gift Arthur 10 tickets to the top box. That is 10 VIP tickets in the most prestigious spot of this 100,000 seat stadium. And I, you know, I get that it's for the story, Harry and company, they can't have like, you know, the nosebleed sections where they can't see anything. And, you know, we need to interact with these important characters in the story, the Malfoys, Fudge, see Crumb up close. But my goodness, what, what did Ludo get into? And more importantly, what did Arthur get him out of that got 10 VIP tickets? That's a good question. It goes to show that Arthur may not be as squeaky clean as we perceive him to be. He did make a flying car, which was not cool. <laughs> that's the, the point I was going to make was that we can totally see Barty Crouch getting into trouble that has to do with illegal activities, malice, not trying to do the right thing. But I would only ever see Mr. Weasley, even if it's helping a friend or a colleague out of a spot of trouble, not like stopping short, basically, of breaking any rules that besides like the very unique circumstance of the car. Yeah, but he is a he is kind of a rule breaker. And Eric, wasn't it? Was it you on one of the previous shows that talked about how he's kind of got a bit of Fred and George in him or maybe Fred and George have a little bit of Arthur? I think Fred and George. Yeah. 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 Okay. wait, I have a theory based on what we're discussing here. Arthur made this flying invisible car. Okay. Mm -hmm. Ludo said ahoy at the top of this conversation. (laughs) What if Ludo is a sailor? His boat was sinking and Arthur can fix and build boats as well. Maybe Arthur built him a boat. Oh my God. You have been on the Empyrean TikTok. Hey, this crazy stuff happens in the Harry Potter world, too. I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. I love it. I absolutely love it. I just I had to throw that question out there because it has been eating at me for years. What did Arthur do to get 10 VIP tickets to this thing? Created one heck of a boat. I can't say I've ever not only have I never thought to ask that question, I've never seen it asked before. So mad props, mad, mad. Seriously. (laughs) All right. So. Let's turn our attention to Crouch, kind of the, well, really the opposite of Bagman. And he, unlike Ludo, followed the rule of dressing like a muggle at the Quidditch World Cup. He's an older man who looks so much like a muggle that Harry thinks even Vernon would be fooled. Now, a big angle of this uh, scene with Crouch is um, Percy's relationship with him. Crouch fanboy Percy offers him a cup of tea to which Crouch says, thank you, Weatherby. Tough. Talk about a crouchy ouchie. That is a, that hurts. <laughs> and I really think th- that needs to be the episode title. Crouchy <laughs> ouchie. Yeah. Either that or ahoy y'all. Oh my God. <laughs> ahoy y'all. It's a crouchy ouchie. <laughs> yeah. I feel so sad. Like, of course, Fred and George, this is all the ammunition that Fred and George need for the next eight years mm-hmm. of torments. For oh, pers- yeah. Like the idea that he finally... You're in the presence of this man that Percy won't stop kissing his took us uh, away, but you, <laughs> but you totally wait. What was it, my guy? I said behind. Andrew said took us. What's the backside of a boat? A stern? Yes. The poop deck? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the the fact that yes, Percy wouldn't stop kissing Crouch's poop deck, and he can't remember right. his name. And 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 here's the thing: like, it's funny and it's sad because. 
I think some aspect we've all experienced maybe like this situation where you're really passionate, but you don't necessarily get the um, respect that you deserve mm-hmm. or like you don't get like really acknowledged like for his boss for his like Percy is one of his direct reports or his secretary or whatever, but he still like doesn't remember his name or gets it wrong. That's really hurtful. You feel like simultaneously bad for Percy and then every one of his siblings is there to like pounce on it. Basically it's, it's honestly yeah. uh Defcon five. It's, you know, scenario. it's worst case scenario. Right. And mm-hmm. I think for Percy, he isn't as important as he makes himself out to be. Um, so much so that his boss doesn't even call him by the proper name. And I think he's exposed in the worst possible way, just given the fact of how we've seen him behave up until this point. And what's even worse is despite the slight, Percy continues to defend Crouch when the conversation turns to the secrecy surrounding the Triwizard Tournament. And that's, of course, when Fred calls him Weatherby. Um yeah, of course it's Fred because Fred is always the one who does that. Always Fred. Yeah, Ugh, Fred. Why are you so mean? I I find this to be p- particularly embarrassing for Percy because Barty Crouch clearly knows Arthur, right? <laughs> right, and knows his last name and sees a young red haired man who he works with there with Arthur, even if you didn't know immediately that he was arthur weasley's son you could put two and two together i'm like oh i've been calling this kid the wrong name for the last three months oops yeah but here's what i will say i think that this says uh, it's supposed to say a lot about percy and his like all importance and stuff like that but i do also think it's supposed to say a lot about crouch and how he yes. thinks of and treats the people beneath him kind of like setting us up for the winky stuff and it's just supposed to give us a big old mm, like, you know how it's like a never date a guy who's bad to a waiter or mean to a waiter? I feel yeah. like this is this version of that. Yeah. Great advice. This is the uh, this is the upcoming serious quote as well. Uh, look at how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. Yeah. Some advice he should take himself. Right. And then you could get into a whole conversation about looking at them as inferiors to begin with. So is that line yeah. by serious a good yeah. one mm-hmm. in truth? Yeah, we'll see. Oh, yeah. True. What's interesting, though, too, is that Slughorn behaves very much the same way in Half-Blood Prince towards Ron, right? He can never remember his name. Um, And, you know, whether it's intentional or not, it's still a huge sign of disrespect. We talked about Weasley is not that hard of a name to pronounce or remember. And, you know, Crouch doesn't seem like the dickish type you know, to the point that was that was just brought up. I just think he could care less about Percy and has more important things to worry about. I, I think the second half of that is true, where he we, he's so stressed. This is why Percy wants to mollify him and is always offering him tea and is stumbling over himself trying to fix things. Is because Percy, I think, to some degree, is an empath and to some degree is trying to account for how busy Crouch is. So it, it's a Percy has put himself in kind of a thankless position. Um, but Crouch really is distracted because if you were Barty Crouch and you knew 
that there's a woman out there that knows that your son it did not die in Azkaban like everyone thinks, and you have nothing but a thin memory charm protecting that secret from sinking you at any minute, and that woman's gone missing, you'd be a little freaked out as well. And then the head of the department that's supposed to be looking for her is going around placing bets, shouting about Quidditch in front of muggles, and doesn't care about finding her. You'd be a little stressed out, too. So I don't necessarily think that it's that Crouch is a bad dude at all. I mean, uh, keeping in mind whatever happens in the future chapters, that it's been forever since I've read. But I just think that he's terrified and really is distracted. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about name origins for Ludo Bagman. Let's talk about Crouch. I mean, to Crouch is to be in a defensive posture. Hmm. And that is where we see this character the entire book. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, you had mentioned you know, Bertha Jorkins right there. And, you know, of course, we remember her here from chapter one when Voldemort and Wormtail were talking about her. And it's so great. It's like such a casual reference about her. And us as readers are really perking up, right? You know, Bagman notes that she has the memory like a leaky cauldron, which is at odds with the schoolgirl that Sirius remembers. And it's such a nice little hint to that memory charm that Crouch placed on her and the damage that it did. And Crouch keeps pressuring Bagman to search for her because he's worried about her disappearance and what that means for the secret he covered up. Exactly what you were just saying there. And, you know, he's probably like, hey, we need to keep an eye on her. And now that she's disappeared, you know, it makes absolute sense that he wants to find her in, in hindsight. And... I just have to ask, however, why is it Bagman's job to find her? There is a Department of Magical Law Enforcement. And why is Bagman, the head of the sports department, in charge, needs to give the green light for his employee to be found, to even be searched for? I want to be Ludo Bagman's employee because I can just like yeet for like three weeks <laughs> on his boat. <laughs> no one would care. That'd be pretty cool. Like I guess PTO is just not really a thing. <laughs> I I just find that so fascinating. It's it's why why does Bagman have to be looking for her? I mean, he should care, but it's not really his job to find her. It's it's a different department that should be looking for her simply as a missing person in general. Yeah, that's a fair fair point. I like to think that if there was law enforcement that came to Crouch or came to Bagman and asked him, though, his dismissiveness of it would keep them at bay for a little while. Like if Bagman were, when asked to characterize her as being like, well, that's a little unusual. You know, she has been a little confused in the past, but is mostly really good. I'm worried. Instead, he's like, ah, pff, she'll show up or whatever. And it's like the law enforcement then doesn't have that extra impetus to really search for her. That is a fantastic point. Bagman is the type of individual, the less responsibility, the better. If he doesn't have to worry about a missing employee, he doesn't have to worry about a missing employee. Like that's just his- He doesn't even know he should. <laughs> it's his yeah. It's his attitude. Yeah. It's it's who he is. All right. That, that gives me some peace there. <laughs> <laughs> For now. Uh, yeah. For now. So the chapter does end with them heading to the cup itself. Let's get into some odds and ends. A forthcoming major event is once again hinted at, and this time we learn it's going to be happening at Hogwarts, so that's a new development. And Fred asks Arthur for more information, but Dad and Percy, or Weatherby, don't offer him any clues. Ron also is fangirling over Crumb. I love how Hermione comments that he looks grumpy, and it's like, oh, don't worry, girl, he won't be grumpy with you. 
we mentioned this earlier too. I just wanted to shout out again, lots of color in terms of what it's like to live amongst wizards. We are getting a lot of wizarding world, world building, which was really nice to see. Well, shouts to our welcome crew, Basil and another wizard who's unnamed, but the wizard who's unnamed is wearing thigh-high galoshes, which I needed to look up. That is thigh-high rubber boots. What a look. Yeah, that's just <laughs> typical muggle attire, right? I would wear that 10 out of 10. <laughs> With a kilt and a poncho. I would wear it if I were wading in a river. <laughs> <laughs> also, we get a call out to other wizarding schools for the first time in this chapter. Uh, we hear about Bill's old pen pal from Brazil, uh, who I guess sent him a cursed hat, I think, because Bill couldn't go to visit him in Brazil. And it's just clear that the international flair of the Quidditch World Cup is meant to set up for this year's events at Hogwarts and for the Triwizard Tournament and two new schools coming into the picture. Yeah, and it, it continues the world building that we've talked about, opening Harry's eyes to the fact that there's more than just Hogwarts out there. And, you know, the first three books were very much like, this is it. It's Hogwarts. Harry gets on the train. And he go, or he flies a car, or he gets on the bus, and he goes. Like now, it's like, hey, there's this whole other world out there with so much other cool stuff to explore. And then I just want to give a shout out to my fellow families of small children. I have two very young ones, and I just felt so seen rereading this now because, hey, my children also wake up at the crack of dawn. So it's just a nice little nod to us parents. Do they play? Do they play with wands too? Not yet. Do they steal your wand? You know, I was gonna say I wish, but not with the wands. I do wish, however, that we had like the little mini flying brooms, like and how they just raise. I just thought that was the cutest little thing, and I just want to get my son I one of those so badly. Know. I was disturbed by the child getting a hold of dad's wands. I mean, that seems like that could cause a world of problems. Wasn't there a lawsuit recently about that? <laughs> No, I'm serious. There was there was some sort of lawsuit TMZ reported on it, a wine, so I don't know, poked an eye out or something. I don't know. Oh yeah. Warner Brothers sued over Harry Potter wand. It impaled my kid's eye. But I mean anything can <laughs> That's do that. Not funny. I'm sorry, but it is funny, but it's not funny. I should not laugh either. <laughs> Hashtag better parenting. Um, well, we mentioned Perkins, we mentioned Mrs. Fig. We also get a mention of Bode the Unspeakable. And I say, hey, it was nice seeing you. We'll catch up in Order of the Phoenix. For me, uh, talk about deep dives or things that send you on them. I looked up what lumbago is because I was like, oh, what's that? <laughs> Turns out it's something that many of us suffer from and never knew it. Lower back pain. Ah, it makes wow. sense. I feel yeah. that so, so that sane is, right that now. Is Perkins, Perkins cannot make it all the way to the cup because of lower back pain. Unbelievable. And uh, speaking of characters that we will meet or hear about later, Seamus Finnegan's mother is here. And uh, famously, Seamus and Harry clash because of uh, his mother and the growing threat around Hogwarts. We know that she does not support Dumbledore, but at the Quidditch World Cup, She's thrilled to be flying the colors of Ireland, which I assume it was just kind of green. But yes, it was fun to pop by her. The fact that on all this land and all these hundreds of tents, there is only one tap marked on the other side of the field. So our trio has to walk quite a distance, stand in a long line, fill up their pots and pans, and then dredge on back. And I'm just going to say I'm a muggle and I wouldn't want to do that. Like I would definitely be one of those witches who would like, uh, you know, uh, just 
pretend like I'm not doing magic, but I would totally be doing magic. <laughs> so Aquamantine. So this when I literally when I was reading this, I don't know if anybody else watches Survivor on. Oh, I've I've gotten into it. Yes, yeah. You have? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, uh, but when they have to walk to the water tap to get fresh water from the well. This very much reminded me of that. And these people are not on a deserted island somewhere <laughs> in the South Pacific. They literally have Aguamente. Um, Mr. Weasley p- playing with matches. I mentioned this earlier, but just like I can so vividly see this man having the time of his life. Who needs Disney World when you have Arthur with matches? I can see. I can, I, they're, they're fun to light. I, I played with matches. <laughs> a lot and you turned out fine. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I thought you have some burn marks on your fingers, but you turned out fine other than that. No, the other people do. But that's another story. <laughs> uh, I love the mention of the magic carpet as a family vehicle. You know, just I love these familiar magical devices, you know, from Aladdin, a whole new world, just pop up like this in the story. And then, of course, the foreshadowing about all of Crouch's ancestors. They've always abided strictly by the law. Except, hey, he doesn't really. So I just love that little bit there. And lastly, to wrap us up here, I have one more little deep dive here into the world building of our story. So omnioculars. Wow, I do not know how to say that. Omnioculars is how I say it personally. Omnioculars. Omnioculars seem very expensive for what they are. They cost 10 galleons. And I just want to give you all a little list here of what other things in the wizarding world cost, just to give you some price comparisons here. Um, Apparition Lesson Program, which is like a multi-week program, it cost 12 galleons. The Advanced Potion Making Book, that cost 9 galleons. But then a wand, like the most important thing that any witch or wizard uses, it only costs seven galleons. However, a unicorn hair that goes into the wand costs 10 galleons, which gives me some serious questions about the profit margin, but I will put a pin in that for right now. And so 10 galleons equal out to about 50 pounds or $73.50. And Harry bought three of them. They never use them again. And I really just hope his friends use them when watching him in the Triwizard Tournament. I have so many thoughts here. First of all, maybe the <laughs> wand is very cheap. Maybe it's su- because it's subsidized by the ministry. Just a random thought that popped into my head. Um, the binoculars, they're very high tech. I mean, you can rewind, right? You can do like the instant replay thing. It's almost like buying like a high tech camera. You can slow down. You can slow yeah. down time. Yeah, I think they're very cool. It is hilarious that they use them once and then never again. Um, it see it. It reminds me of like you go to a concert and you buy like a souvenir T-shirt or something, and <laughs> half the people who buy those things never wear them again. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I will say, merch that is sold at events like this does tend to be overpriced. But I agree with the point, Lexi, about uh, cost and value in the Wizarding world being extremely inconsistent. In general, when you think about things like, I mean, you have this perfect list. I don't even need to come up with anything else. (laughs) It it just doesn't make all that much sense when you really start breaking it down. Unless Ollivander's like buying supplies in bulk. Maybe. And so he gets, I don't know. He makes his wand. Well, it's it's also another commentary on the Weasley's financial situation too, right? Because Mm -hmm. Ron is 
somewhat embarrassed of the fact that Harry is going to buy this for him. And he turns around and I think he says like, I won't get you a Christmas present or something along those lines, but for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which like, is clearly Harry is just joking around. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's like, it's not that serious, Harry, you're rich. Calm down. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe the on the oculars say like Quidditch world cup on them too. That would be cool. Ooh. So and the year, right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But um, I just feel like having gone through the, the, this whole discussion, it was really done such a disservice in the movies. I know we get like mm-hmm. a few seconds early on of being able to see, you know, the kind of the bit of diversity we see at the Quidditch World Cup, but it seems like for a TV show adaptation, they can do so much better. And one of the moments I'm really looking forward to is when like the trail lights up going to the actual Quidditch World Pup Cup. Yeah. I feel like that would be so fun to see on screen the fact that they spent two seconds on i love magic and not <laughs> two seconds on anything else that they could have done listen once you get once you start playing that game and there's no going back like <laughs> it's too late it's too late that was turned into a gif that's been used again and again online it's a meme and that's and true it's priceless it's a gift that keeps on giving yeah you can't put a price i on like that, that moment <laughs> All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. And now it's time for MVP of the week. And I'm going to give it to Crouch for calling Percy Weatherby. I think it's pretty funny and puts him in his place. My MVP also goes to Crouch, but this time for pressuring Barty to do something about Bertha's disappearance. Barty's kind of annoyed by him, but good for him. I'm going to give mine to Bagman for giving young readers their first introduction to that annoying, useless, fake it until you make it co-worker. Nice. Uh, no surprise, I'm giving it to Archie for liking a healthy breeze around his privates and not caring who knows it. To that, I say, be you, Archie, be you. <laughs> oh man, that was mine too. That might be one of my favorite little random moments of the whole series, but mine is going to be Fred and George because of the bet that they made and how this is their first business attempt to get money. Big risk, big reward, and it worked. And I'm going to go with the wizarding tents because unlike <laughs> Laura, I am not a camper in the slightest, but this is the type of camping that would actually convince me to mingle with the outdoors. I was gifted a camping tent two years ago, three years ago, and um, it's yet to be opened. It really just needs to go on eBay at this point. <laughs> Laura, would you like my camping tent? I was going to say, send it to me. I'll use it. I'll throw it. a muggle cast beanie in there. You'll be warm in the tent. <laughs> over the oh, winter. my gosh. It's it's not like I already have four of them, but sure. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> If you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can contact us by emailing or sending a voice memo recorded on your phone to MuggleCast at gmail.com or by using our phone number, which is one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. And next week, we will discuss Goblet of Fire Chapter 8, the Quidditch World Cup. And speaking of Quidditch, now it's time for our weekly trivia game, Quizage. Yes, we took a few weeks off, so we got a lot of entries this week. Uh, last week's question was, according to Percy Weasley, about how many languages does Mr. Crouch speak? The correct answer was over 200. 
All right. So I believe it's my turn to do the names, right? I think so. Yes. Please, Andrew, to be our guest here. Now, here's here's how you do it. This is how you move quickly through the list. <clears throat> Last week's winners, Hollow Wolf, Hermione Forever, Peanut on a Broomstick, No Diggery, I Got to Bag It Up, Olivia the Hufflepuff, Remember Alls are Fun, but Akio is Quicker, Luke the 12-Year-Old, Micah Tricked Us Again, Even Though I Like Famous Amos, MMRTG, aka Multi-Mission Radio Stop Thermoelectric Generator, I just wrote that to make you say it, Dobby Stole My Socks, Elizabeth K. <laughs> One normal name. Excellent. Andrew Sims canceled for magical creature cruelty. Read more on page six. Sold the soul sucker. Percy Weatherby. Emma going crazy or is Eric slacking by giving everyone else the job of reading Quizlet's names? Yes. Barty, we hardly knew thee. Barty is a Duolingo maven, says Percy. Carly, Cedric dies and becomes a sparkly vampire. Who is babysitting Crookshanks? There no one else. Percy would weather me and weather pitch worse by team. <laughs> That's the first and last time I'm doing that, even though that was fun. That was I fun though. Questions. Use it well. Questions. This segment started as a nice thing where, oh, congratulations to Anna, Laura, Mark. And then slowly one person after the other started coming up with a surprising nickname and now that's what it's devolved into and it's they're a lot of fun to read that was unhinged chaos and i'm so here for it <laughs> i love it i absolutely love that oh my gosh glad. <laughs> maybe we'll maybe we'll do a week where people can only submit their legal names no, <laughs> you must submit so your photo boring. id yeah photo id along your name uh to play quizzes that should go over well no, 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 no. We love Quizich and all the people who enter it. And speaking of, here is the next week's question. What broomstick does Harry see advertised as being, quote, for all the family at the Quidditch World Cup? And submit your answer to us on the MuggleCast website, MuggleCast.com slash Quizich, or go to the MuggleCast website and click on Quizich from the top nav bar. Thank you so much. Nicole and Lexi, this has been amazing. Thank you for joining us. This was so fun. Thank you for having yes. us. Thank you. Thank you for all the theories, all the research, all the energy. It was it was perfect. Where can we find Fantasy Fangirls online? We are on every podcasting platform if you search Fantasy Fangirls. And a lot of people like watching us on YouTube because apparently we make crazy facial expressions. So we are on there as well. Also at Fantasy Fangirls. And you can find us at FantasyFangirls.com. We are also very active on TikTok and Instagram at FantasyFangirlsPod. Awesome. Yeah, y'all are killing it on um, TikTok in particular. That's where I see you at least. Like, oh my gosh, just mm -hmm. well done. Very well done. It's hard to grow a podcast these days. It's an issue a lot of people, you know, struggle to, to figure out. And you two just killed it with the TikTok and Instagram, the social media posts that you do. So congratulations on your success. We sacrificed the right goat to the TikTok algorithm gods. That's kind of <laughs> yeah. how I feel. Oh, like, exactly. That's oh. how this has worked out in the last 10 weeks. I'm just going to say it's a very good thing that you uh, saved sacrificing a goat to the end of the show as opposed to bringing it up earlier on. Yeah, we love goats here. <laughs> oh my we God, okay, good. Glad to close it out. <laughs> we we have like stuffed goats nearby. There's always a stuffed goat. It's another running <laughs> joke here on MuggleCast. <laughs> They're our mascot. <laughs> That's what I had to do to become famous on TikTok? Just kill this guy? I don't think I could do it. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes it's not worth fame. It's fine. 
<laughs> no, I mean, in all seriousness, I think you two could teach some sort of like masterclass or online course on like growing a podcast through TikTok. Like for just sure. Chef's kiss on, on how you've done Thank that. You. So that means a lot. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. Um, I think I'm going to hop on fantasy fangirls in the next month or something like that. So uh, yeah. listeners stay tuned for that. We'll talk about fourth wing and crossover there with the world of Harry Potter. Couple of reminders before we wrap up on our end. Visit mugglecast.com for transcripts, social media links, our full episode archive, our favorite episodes, and to contact us. And don't forget the MuggleCast and Millennial Overstock store is now open. MuggleMillennial.etsy.com is where you can get one of a kind MuggleCast gifts while supplies last. In the next two weeks is the time to order. If you want uh, Santa, Andrew, and Eric to uh, get your gift there before Christmas, him and I are the ones shipping this stuff out. If you enjoy MuggleCast and think other Muggles would too, tell a friend about the show. And we would also appreciate if you left us a review in your favorite podcast app. We'd also appreciate your support on Patreon, patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Or if you're an Apple Podcast subscriber, you can tap into the show and hit subscribe and you'll get ad-free and early access to each episode. All right, that does it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. I'm Nicole. And I'm Lexi. Bye, everyone. Thanks again, Fantasy Fangirls. Bye, y'all. Bye.